Welcome to this episode of Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in longtime musician and promoter who is currently with the engaging Reggae Rise Up Music Festival, Paul D. King. In this episode, Paul discusses how church and hockey gave way to music, what it takes to run a four-day music festival, and all of the things he has been shown and taught in between. Please enjoy. Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. Tonight we kept the hotel empty to welcome in our friend Paul King, lifelong musician, music promoter, and just all-around fantastic individual. Welcome to the show, Paul. Eric, thanks for having me. How you doing, man? Fantastic, man. How's it going? Good. So I know you are a guy with a lot of stories and a lot of good stories, but I want to kind of start at where the music story starts. Take me back to where you were, your age, what the scene is. Paint me the picture a little <laughs> bit where music gets into your life so deeply. Oh, man. Well, I mean, as you know, music's been a huge, huge part of my life pretty much since I can remember. Um, the earliest days go back. Uh, my parents brought us up in church. So, you know, my mother played keyboard in church. My dad played bass and drums and guitar. I mean, pretty much everything. My grandfather um, is a singer. Uh, he's done a lot of singing over my entire life. So I was always up or brought up around music. Then, um, and where were you then? In New York. We moved, uh, I was 10 when we moved to Florida. It was 1995. Rangers just won the cup. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. Um, and that's really uh, where the school and church that my family, we all went to, uh, was in Brandon. It's like an hour north of Sarasota. And uh, the pastor's kids were really big in like the, the Christian punk rock scene. Hmm. So that's when we started drawing on our Converse checkers and little Jesus fishes and uh, some bands you might know, Under Oath, used to play at yeah. our church back when they were like a three-piece death metal band. That's crazy. And then Amberlynn was a big one. Uh, they, they were called Saga 24-7. And dude, they were a killer band. And they came out of this area too? Yeah. They're from, they're from Winter Haven. Yeah. But yeah, they all used to play at my church on the weekends. Um they were throwing punk rock shows there. I think I was probably like, I want to say probably like seventh, eighth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Was that that time? Um, and that's really when music like started to grab a hold of me. And like you know, I was really into like punk rock music at a young age. I think Bush uh, Razorblade Suitcase was like one of the first CDs I ever owned. Nice. Um, Butthole Surfers was one of my first CDs I ever had. That's two good <laughs> ones right there. Uh, that's when like I really started getting my taste. And then, of course, um, in high school, me and my friends were skipping school and going surfing. And I think 40 Ounces of Freedom was like our our go-to surf sesh album every time. I mean, um so I was, you know, grew up punk rock, uh, had a nice mohawk going through middle school. It's probably not as big as Julian's, but you know. <laughs> but your focus at that time, you were also involved in sports, right? And your family had, your dad played hockey too, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of I kind of fell out of the sports when I was like, probably middle school and early high school I played. We went to private school, so I played soccer and basketball and baseball and volleyball and I was pretty much garbage at all of them except for soccer and <laughs> hockey. <laughs> when we moved to Florida, it was like 
1995, the Lightning's first year was 93, but there was no hockey scene at all. Right. Like, when we got here, there was nothing. And I wanted to be a hockey player when I was a kid. Like, right. Um, so, so music had to be a pretty profound thing when it hit you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was playing guitar, playing bass. You know, me and my friends had a little punk rock band in high school. Uh, no Clue, we called it. And then we had another little group we used to mess around with, the real cool cats. So how does that start? When you're, <laughs> when you're skipping school and listening to Sublime, going surfing, when does that turn into, I'm going to pick up a guitar? Um, I kind of always did. Me and my buddy Tyler, um, he was my best friend. You know, we just started jamming. My buddy Mark, we would just start jamming together. I mean, that was early. That was middle school, you know, end of middle school, early high school days for me. So I always played. You know, I never thought that I would be doing it professionally for any amount of time. Right. And then um, I didn't even start the band until probably, what was it, 2013, I think? Yeah, so there's a definite road in between there. Yeah. So, there so was, when you're in high school and you just start jamming, where does that road go? Pretty much nowhere. It was, it was, it was you know, just garage jams and uh, kind of figuring out, you know, who we are and... I kind of, I guess I kind of always stayed the same throughout that period of my time. You know, I was always kind of a punk rocker kid, surfer, skater, you know. Um, but yeah, that music didn't really do, I didn't really have a lot uh, going on musically until I was a little older. You know, I went through some trials and tribulations, I guess we'll call them. Yeah, so yeah. What, 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 was the, what was the bump in the road in between? Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and you spent some time in the military, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, did a couple years in the Army. I wasn't really... Uh, I don't really consider myself a soldier, you know. It's, yeah. The, being in the army is tough. They have no privacy. Uh, your individualism is gone, you know. And I'm, I feel like a very individual kind of person. So right. that was tough, but that teaches you things like discipline and you know teamwork and you know char character things about your character that you don't normally learn, you know, especially at a younger age. Do you, you know? think that coming up in the church environment and playing sports and things like that helped you be able to do those things? Musically? Or, no, what? like go through the military and deal with those types of bumps, or do you think that... Definitely. The military was more like a, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no, you know, I didn't really ever plan to go to college. I didn't really plan much at all during high school so the military was kind of a mix between there i had nothing else to do and like keep my family right. happy you know and still be an environment where this teamwork makes the dream work right thing is yeah. part of it but yeah i guess that all kind of goes hand in hand you know yeah but uh so you're starting to learn that you know now you're out of the military now you're starting <laughs> to shape what becomes a rock and roll life this is sort yeah. of the time where you start to have bands around here yeah yeah, so I got out of the Army. I moved to Colorado for a little bit with a buddy, and this was like, you know, probably 2008 or 2009. So the green was just becoming, you know, legal out there. So I got to kind of be involved with that scene and, like, see how that goes. They had a couple houses, grow houses, and it was, like, pretty early where you had to have, like, a prescription for everything. And, like, so I got to kind of see that firsthand for a while, spent probably about six or eight months out there and came back and then I had to um, so I grew up in Tampa and I had gotten in some trouble in Sarasota so 
I was actually in Colorado when I found out about the warrant they had for me in Sarasota. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. They ended up, the cop couldn't even say that Sarasota. He didn't even know what it was. He's like, you have a warrant here? I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I don't. <laughs> they brought me, brought me to jail, slept. They actually gave me a cheeseburger lunch. Like, it was actually a pretty good meal. <laughs> jail out there. Um, they ended up letting me go because Florida wasn't going to extradite me. Um, back for it was you know two third degree felonies which I ended up um, getting getting taken off my record but um, so yeah they let me go I came back to Florida and then I ended up getting in trouble in Florida so I did as lots of people do <laughs> I did like a month in Tampa and then they brought me to Sarasota I did I, I'd never lived here before I didn't even know anybody here I came with just the clothes on my back and uh did a couple months while they figured out what they wanted to do with me, and then they ended up putting me into a drug court. And then from there, I moved into a halfway house, and then I got my own apartment not long after that. And you know, so at this that, point, you got to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Exactly. So how does music be a part of that? I started, you know, just I started, you know, getting gear. I got a guitar and a amp and pedals and stuff, and then I met. Um, a buddy, his name's Max, at Starbucks, and uh, we just started jamming the two of us, and then we we agreed that you know maybe this would be a lot more fun if we added a couple more people. You know, we got some drums, <laughs> maybe some bass, and uh, that's when I met John. John, John, John was like a for one of the first members of Summer Survivors. Nice. He was playing bass, and then we had a couple. You know, you kind of, Summer Survivors was always kind of a. Big family. <laughs> yeah. Rotating cast. A rotating cast. So we had a lot of band members over the years. Um, so what's the but, first Summer Survivors? When's the first Summer Survivors rehearsal? Can you remember the first time you waved that flag and we were like, we're doing this, we're getting ready for a, a Summer Survivors show? Man, it was a funny story. I was actually squatting in a foreclosed house <laughs> right across from your neighborhood because I had a... I had a buddy who was like helping people out. I was broke. I had nowhere to, you know. Right. And we ended up finding this foreclosed house off Lockwood Ridge. I squatted in this house for like almost three years. <laughs> Made it some kind of record, I, I think. Yeah, I had a lease and everything, man. It was awesome. But that's where we built a stage in the living room. And I was like, I think I was working at like Outback Steakhouse or something. And... You know, I was a I was a pretty good service industry employee, but you know, I have my days too. So I ended up this table stiffed me, and I was like super nice to him. So I did the thing you're never supposed to do, where you walk outside and tell him thank you for the tip. Oh, <laughs> so I ended up getting fired. And <laughs> imagine that I had just started the band, so I was like, I was like, screw it. I guess we're doing this full time now. I was like, full go. So we full sent it, and it was. I think I ended up making our Facebook page on April 20th, 2013, was the Fitting. day that I made the Facebook page. And then we did our first show. I can't, I mean, I can't, our practices, you know, it was like we used to practice, I mean, all nonstop. I met Ted those days too, met Ted off of Craigslist. That's when he started coming around. We used to just jam. How jam. important was it to have the latitude in your life to be able to play that much to get it off the ground? It was, I mean, it was yeah, it probably wouldn't have happened without that. That and living in a foreclosed house. That's what I'm saying. Rent, you know? yeah. That was the huge catalyst for it because I didn't have to pay any bills. 
and then I, you know, I lost my job and just put it all into it and uh, art becomes the life raft. Yeah. I had already I had already started going to school. It was kind of interesting how it happened cuz I when I when I was in Sarasota, you know, I had to go through the drug court thing, which I ended up graduating early and getting out of that done and um, so it's like what next now? So then I started looking at schools. Right. My, my brother is a graphic designer. So he sent me information on Ringling and I was like, wow, this school looks awesome. It's really, really, really expensive. Right. I was like, There's no way I can afford to go here. So I ended up finding a SETI, which is, they changed the name now. I can't remember what they call it now, but it's over on Proctor and Beneva area. Mm-hmm. They had a graphic design program. So I started doing that and they just teach you just the programs. So you're just learning Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. Not really a lot of um, ba- not like uh, practices and basics of graphic design, just programs. And you didn't have any experience doing that beforehand. This was just something you took up because it was the point in your life where it's like, we got to do something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did the Army thing. I did, you know. I, so I started doing that. And I say I didn't know that I was creative, but I feel like for a lot of, like, my my late teens and early 20s, I really didn't even know that I was creative. Like, I was just, you know, going through the motions. And then I started doing graphic design, and I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> this is actually... And then and the band, they all kind of started happening at the same time. So I was just, like, living in this world of creative, creativity, and it was... What did that feel like? I, I loved it. It's... Uh, to you know, because I've did everything: construction, air conditioning, sell cars. You know, I've literally served tables, bartend. I mean, you name it. I've done literally every job, and I never, ever had any satisfaction really out of any of them. And then I started doing graphic design and started playing music, and it was like everything was starting to make sense. Yeah, <laughs> I remember we played. You asked about the first practice we had. I don't know if I remember that, but the first show we ever played was, I think it was like August 16th, and it, we had, you know, just started the Facebook page in April. I'd say we had started the band a little earlier that year, but August, it was like August 16th was our first show we played in the house. We had like a stage in the living room. <laughs> we had about, we got a keg of beer, and we had about 60 people there, and that was the moment when I knew like being on stage and and playing music and was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Like, it was a huge passion for me. Um, it was that moment, it was like a, an aha moment or a come to Jesus moment where you're just like, wow, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Had you <laughs> had that feeling from hockey or any of the stuff that you were passionate about before that or was this a, this was a new thing? That was a new thing. I mean, hockey was always like, as far as I can remember back, I wanted to play hockey. Right. But then I moved to Florida, and there's no hockey. <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> that's not happening anymore. Um, we used to play some good roller street hockey back in the day, though. That was fun. I was getting all the kids in the neighborhood into it. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. Importing. Yep. <laughs> so you're starting to do everything all at once, and this creative bubble is starting to, to be a real thing. Yeah. So when does the both of these things become professional? How do you well, parlay? How do you parlay this newfound thing <laughs> into profession? Not squatting anymore. Well, I started working in the print shop, which was cool. 
because then I started learning the print industry and, you know, print being in a band and designing and printing, it's all kind of, it goes hand in hand. Um, so I was working at the print shop, I was just finishing it up school and, uh, man, I worked in that print shop for like five years. I, it was probably one of the longest jobs I've ever held. Um, the band really started i mean that whole time we just stayed busy i just I, I wanted to play shows like we were playing with all the bands at floor like with all our friends like we were just having a great time and jamming and we were getting pretty good there for a while we uh there's like me ted tj and john like that era I think we had a real good shot at it for a while. But, yeah, and that was the lineup you did the first record with, yep. right? Yep. Yep. That was <laughs> interesting times, huh? <laughs> yeah. So the graphic design and the band thing kind of parlays us into a little bit to where you're at right now, but I want to I wanna take a, 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 little, a little bit of the road there. What were your experiences getting to the point where summer survivors is more well known you got on better stages some of the things you've learned that help bands that are literally coming out of a squat get mm. to a stage because you you've got mad expertise in that area and i'm wondering which of all the things you've been through stick out well what really got all of our opportunities was when i joined the street team for reggae rise up that was like where everything started for that they were doing like a artist discovery contest i think it was 2014 this the first was the one. first year of Ray Rise Up? yeah okay. for, it was at raymond james stadium and they did like a local discovery contest so we entered that and then i saw that they were looking for street teamers so they were having like a street team meeting it was in tampa so i drove from sarasota up to tampa i ended up meeting addison and vaughn my boss that night I honestly didn't even like Addison for like the first five years we were buddies <laughs> um, shout so, out Addison <laughs> hi Addison I love you um, so that we did it we killed it on the street team you know we we had a party because you had people had to like go on and like so we did a party at the warehouse made a bunch of bands and the and we had we got some kegs of beer and the admission to the show was you had to come in and uh like us in the contest and then we were doing we did a a car wash out front of the print shop and we'll wash your car if you go on and and you know like us on the because there the was contest. no brand recognition for a gay rise up at that time no nothing i mean it was brand new and we didn't end up getting on the show um we got beat by SoFlo, who was a pretty big band from Fort Myers. Right. Um, we got beat by them. The next year came, and they hit me up to be on the street team, and I was like, hell no. Nah. I was like, I don't want to do that. I was like, I literally went out there, put up all these posters with other bands' names on them. I, you know, we had a car wash. I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to get us on that show. We didn't get on. And Adam, who was running the street teams at that time, uh, he he said, Paul, if you do at least the minimum of the street team requirements, which I know you can because you killed it last year, he right. said, we will get you on the shows. At that point, I was like, you know, what do I really have to lose if he's saying he's going to get us on the shows? So did the street team again for the second reggae rise up year, killed it again. We started like printing their posters and flyers at the print shop. Then you were doing some of the graphics work for that too, or just 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 the, the print printing? Work? Yeah, okay. I've actually never done any of the graphics for Reggae Rise Up. Um, 
So just do helping them with the printing. Did it again the next year. The first show we played for Reggae Rise Up, they did like a summer series. It was uh, five different shows at Janice. Uh, we got on opening for The Expendables, which has been one of my favorite bands for a long time, so that was cool. Um, tickets were 15 bucks. I sold 100 tickets to that show for 15 bucks each. Nice. I walked in, I handed Vaughn 1,500 bucks cash. We sold more tickets to that one show as an opening band than all the opening bands combined for the next for all the shows combined and we played every reggae rise up after that and yeah it was to the point where like i didn't even know we were playing reggae rise up the lineup would be released and our name would be on it so i wake up i'm like wow i have 75 text messages why what is going on oh reggae rise up released the lineup (laughs) what was that first show at janice like it was incredible i mean growing up and going to that venue and seeing all your favorite bands play there and then being able to play on it, it's just like, I mean, you've played there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's got vibes. Yeah, very much so. So how long between that first Janice show and the first Ray Rise Up where you're on a festival stage? So yeah, it was probably, because that was like a summer show, so we didn't play Reggae Rise Up until the next, I think it was still in March, so until the next March. But then we were got on the Utah shows. Right. It did two Utahs. Um we probably would have gotten on Vegas, but you know, I, you know, but not everybody else knows. Uh, you know, I took a break from Summer Survivors for a little bit. Uh, our last show was actually at Janice. We opened for Thirty uh, Zero. Nice. That was cool. My family, my whole family came out, so that was a special night. And I feel like we played pretty good that night too. Well, that's always good. <laughs> so you do the last Summer Survivors show. You've learned a ton along the way. You've made a huge network. What is day one like not in a band? Because the band had been kind of the center of the musical universe for quite a while for you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so right when I decided to take a break from the band is when I told Vaughn at Reggae Rise Up that you know, I was going to take a break. We were actually on the next floor to line up here, and it was coming out in like four or five days. So I didn't even know that, that it was coming out. So he's like, so I'm taking you off. And I was like, Fuck. I was like, man, yeah, yeah, take us off. I'm going to stick to my guns on this one and take a break. <laughs> but I told him, I said, I don't want that to be the end of our relationship. You know, I had been working with him since 2014 in one capacity or the other. There was a few years there when I wasn't street teaming when I was just, you know, being an artist. But, you know, we had, I was like, I don't want this to be the end just because I'm not doing the band right now. And he's like, okay, I'll I'll let you know. And a week later, he calls me back and offers me the uh, street team uh, promoter representative uh, position. So I, I took that. So now I run the street teams for all the festivals. Uh, we have a network of teamers who go out, put up posters, hand out flyers, go to shows, you know, spread the word um, throughout the whole U.S. How long before the show do you start doing that? Like, let's say the one in March, when do you start? How, what's what's chess move one? October. Usually we pretty much go from one to the next. So we had Baltimore, Vegas, and Florida this year. Florida, of course, is our like flagship. It's our largest one. And we do between 15 and 20,000 people a day. Um, so we'll start. I've kind of already started on Florida. Um, For March of 24? Yeah. But we'll start. I know I know the lineup should be coming out soon. But, yeah, I mean, we're working on them six to eight months before. So I'm what's sure. the first thing? What's the first thing you have to do when it's time to start the new cycle? 
Um, well, so my two jobs right now, I have, I have, I run the street teams, and then I'm the signage coordinator. So what the signage coordinator does is I work with the graphic designers and the printer, and then all the departments within Reggae Rise Up to create, design, print, and then install all the signage that you see at the festival. So all the bar signs, um, entrance, exits, uh, vendors, you know, the stage scrims, all those things. So that's what I'm usually starting first now is getting my sheets ready because we use spreadsheets and I mean everybody thinks the music industry happens on the stage right there in front but it doesn't it happens in front of computers with a bunch of spreadsheets right that's why I'm really <laughs> curious how you even get this ball rolling um, yeah luckily they they've created a pretty good system for for the signage the street team's a little more difficult because I feel like that's an ever evolving thing and it can be really difficult at times to just make sure everything's getting done you know luckily I have an app now that the street teamers can go and just put up the poster and take a picture in the app and it puts it on a map and on a sheet where I can see everything before they would have to put the poster up take a picture on their phone upload this picture to whatever drive I was trying anything and everything just to make it easier for the teamers because I can get people to go out and be motivated put up posters but taking pictures putting those in albums then taking those albums and filling out a final report it was a lot of work and it was near impossible to get everybody to do that <laughs> <laughs> and then I, so they because would, everyone's volunteers right so the street teamers all work for tickets uh, passes to the festival swag the past few years since I've took it over the street teamer who does the most posters and I've been getting a foil poster signed by all the bands oh cool yeah so like trying to like really like give them back for what the you know the hard work that they're doing and I mean who doesn't that a lot of them do it for the love of the scene a love of music and you know they love swag so you know I was like man I've been in the street team for 10 years and I've never got a signed foil poster I mean the Vegas one last year was sick yeah how much does it help you being able to be in the position you're at now coming from the position you were yeah it was a, I mean it was a it was a lateral move basically Summer Survivors probably as of last year we had played Reggae Rise Up more than any other band out there we're the only band that's ever played it twice in the same weekend so I've known that festival. I've been to every single one, basically. So, you know, inside and out, upside down. I've seen it from somebody standing in the crowd to a band playing on, I played vibe stage and main stage, to someone who's working in the back of the house now. So it was easy switch, pretty much. You're I mean, right, and an invaluable perspective to have, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So... um I know you've been doing this street team thing and the promotion game has changed quite a bit because everybody is so empowered and now there are things like, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought of that. You can have an app to manage the street team. Yeah. What are some of the other big things that have changed from the very first time you would do this? And I mean, I know Gorilla back in the day were just stapling posters and handing <laughs> out flyers. You know, yeah. what's, what's some of the other things now that, it, that you've been able to utilize that have just changed along the way? Um, just, you know, social media helps a lot. That's really changed a lot of things. Um, the app that we got is like, I couldn't, it, it was amazing because as soon as I started running the street teams, I was like, man, it has to be easier than this. I was like, <laughs> the, like the communication, I mean, you're juggling so many different things, trying to 
just make sure that the posters are getting up. So the app changed the whole game. Because um, how many people do you have on a, on a street team, or how many people are you trying to manage the promotion of at any given point, would you say, range? Uh, right now for Vegas, we have 25 teamers. 25 active teamers who are out putting up. And they're where? Uh, all over the country. Mostly Vegas. Um, I didn't really go too far out. We're, we're pretty much focused on like the Vegas and Utah area, California, Florida. I think that's pretty much it. Because we, we put out an application months ahead of time and start, you know, people can fill it out. And then we have to go through and communicate with each person, reach out to them. So I've been using a lot of Google Sheets and like trying to learn that side of it because like now I can have like when you fill out the application I can have it automatically email that person with my manual that I've created and also create a conversation with me and my market manager so that we're all like it's you know it seamless which is really cool. Thank you for sticking with us. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you'd like to make a difference and take your support to the next level, please visit our Patreon and consider becoming a member. Link in the description. Everything counts in large amounts. Thank you again. Now back to the show. So you're, you're for lack of a better term, managing 25 people from afar. You're right, yes. And that's just one team. I had Baltimore and Florida this year. So I'd say we have about... Probably about 75 or 80 teamers logged into that, like, set up on the app right now. And that's throughout the entire United States. So we're pretty much any any big markets. Like, for Baltimore, we're really... Baltimore's kind of a strange place, but it has a lot of big cities near it. So you can pull from Philly, D.C., New York. All these places are relatively, really close, not far at all. So we really, I tried to get a lot out there in that area, like the Northeast area. Um, I have a team here in New York City, my buddy Jeff, that's been doing and killing it there every year. So New York's been good. Um, But yeah, there's literally, I mean, all over the country. And I don't, I feel like we're going to be announcing a new festival soon. I'm not entirely sure on that, but. Um, well, Reggae Rise Up has grown steadily, right? Oh, yeah, yep. The whole reggae scene has been growing a lot. I mean, we just saw Slightly Stupid, and they just did their first Live Nation tour, and they were all at amphitheaters and stadiums. And I think they're like the first band, really, in our scene, maybe Sublime of Rome, but that have done like a Live Nation tour. Right. So that was cool just to witness and see the growth in that. Yeah, you know, they got such a history. Oh, yeah. They're like the Grateful Dead of our of our scene you know right. they're just jamming I saw them play with Pepper and Bargain Music at the Ritz in Ebor I think it was probably like 2003 or 2004 you know playing for 1500 2000 people however many people fit in that building not very many right I've seen them at Janus a bunch of times so to see them grow into what they're doing now it's pretty awesome so having been on so many different sides of this scene and been really at the the beginning of it what you're talking about now all the way to you seeing these bands at amphitheaters what do you think is attributed to this growth so much in the 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 expanded interest in reggae reggae rock what what do you think did that uh well sublime was like the first i feel like the one of the first uh 
bands in our in our scene. I feel like they were like you know they started our scene. But I mean, if you like listen to some like police songs and stuff, like they have a lot of there's a lot of like reggae-ish sounding tunes that they have, you know. For sure. So people don't even think about a lot of people don't even think about them as being this style of music, but you know, um, I think it's the music. It it's the positive, you know, positive vibes. Just like I feel like the most popular right now, like stick figures, really big. You know, when did you see the biggest change? When did you see the biggest growth happen? It was. I mean, since Reggae Rise Up joined the scene, I think they brought it home to us, you know, because I had been listening to this style of music for a long time. But then when Reggae Rise Up started, they did the first year in Tampa, but then they moved to Vinoy. Once they moved to Vinoy, it was like just watching them grow, going from a one-day festival with eight bands to Vegas this year is three days. There's 16 bands each day. What do you think is important about the festivals and having all these bands together? It's just everybody being together and vibing, you know? It's like when we used to play Reggae Rise Up, we would usually be like in the beginning of the day, you know, first band on either stage. So, you know, the crowd, we had a, you know, sometimes we had a, a decent crowd, but it was never more than a, a small thousand people, a couple thousand people. But then, you know, when I get off now and I go, usually backstage we have a scissor lift and it lifts you up so you can like see the whole crowd and you look out and like Revolution or Slightly Stupid's playing and you're looking out and you're seeing 17,000 people all dancing and smiling and having a good time like that tough to beat yeah and to know that I played a role in all of those people enjoying themselves for that weekend like it's that's what really got me like hooked on it like where I knew like same it was kind of like the same experience I had when I was in the band when we played our first show when I was standing there you know yeah I was gonna ask you how much of that parallels how much of that feeling parallels because it's still like you said getting to the sh- see the show go off and people and enjoy themselves yeah it, I mean I was like man I used to play and you know we would play 30 minutes and you know we'd have a small group of people but now to know that I helped 16,000 people have a really good time and just to go up on the lift and look out and just just see a sea of people vibing, it's, yeah, that's one of the greatest feelings I've ever felt, by far. It was, uh, but it really, when Reggae Rise Up came, you know, 2014, so I would say probably about 2017, I think that was the first year where they did multi-day festival, um, that was the first year me and Bolts hang out, hung out like that weekend. Um, that was like 2017 was like when like it was like visible to everybody like, wow, this scene is growing. So do you think it was more that it that the, the reggae world just got onto the festival scene that so many other genres had been baking into their growth? Or do you think it there was some band or or the vibe of it like you said that more attributed to the exponential explosion because you know it went from you know like you said relatively underground one day two days to now you're up to four days right all festivals go four days right uh three or four just depends florida did four um this last year but i'd say like bands like you know 311 Right. I was really surprised <laughs> to see them on the bill. Yeah, that was the first time they ever played. I mean, and I've seen them. It was probably, dude, I don't know, early 2000s. I saw them at sell out the amphitheater. 
you know, and the whole the Tampa Amphitheater was completely sold out. Like that's like twenty two thousand people. So like that, they're huge. They're a big band in the scene. I think they're they get. They're definitely one of like the oldest bands in our scene, so I think they get forgotten about a little bit. But I mean, they were a huge band for this. Oh scene. yeah, yeah. And then slightly stupid has been, you know, slightly stupid revolution, iration. Sublime with Rome, those are like the real stick figure. And Sublime with Rome was at the last Reggae Rides up in Florida too, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, I missed their set. Well, last year I kind of missed everybody's sets because I was dealing with weather and... Because you got to work when you're at work sometimes yeah. until you get to the scissor lift. Yep. So take me through one of those days. Like uh, I know Saturday and Sunday, those are the big days. Thursday and Friday is a lot of getting the bugs out and everybody getting their excitement and jitters out. Take, yep. take me through a Saturday or a Sunday when you know work, you know you're going to have the gates getting charged and everybody's coming. <laughs> uh, it's usually very stressful. Usually the first day is the most stressful. Thursday? Yeah. By the or time, whatever first day yeah, is. Yeah, Thursday or Friday. Usually that's the craziest day. Um, Why is that? Just because doors are going to open, and if your job's not done, like usually I, I, I plan in my mind that I'm not going to sleep Thursday night. If the doors open on Friday, the, it, the in the past it's been I have not slept. I've stayed there all night. Um, but... Before I've been before I was doing the signage, it was Vaughn was doing it, my boss was doing it, so he he created a good system. But he was you know dealing with all of it, and then he didn't just say here you're going to be the signage coordinator now. He, they they gave me a year of just doing it. They didn't tell me they had plans for me to take over all the signage. So I had to learn, but also not just learn, but build a process because I don't want to work throughout the whole festival. I don't want to be the guy running around crazy. With a chicken with his head cut off, you know? Because at some point it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm like, it has to be easier. So I'm developing new things. Like now we're numbering all the banners. Um, in the past, we were just like zip tying them to the frames. Now we're putting pockets on the top. So I'm like sliding the beam through, connecting it. So it's like one beam and it has a beam all the way through it for support and then I'm just bungeeing it and that came from the experience of being at the fair <laughs> there you go I saw the, the the guys at the fair I'm like dude those banners look good what are they pole pocket on top bungees on the bottom because we're using like seven to ten zip ties for every banner and then zip tying it to the tents so you know if, in Florida especially it's thousands of zip ties that plastic waste I'm like there's got to be some a better way to do this right so now we're numbering them and I'm building a team to hopefully I can use you know the same group of people everyone to come and help me so I don't have to stand there like if we use we use a lot of volunteers and we use a lot of hired help and I just end up you know being the guy like pointing and telling people what to do you know so to have a group of people who can assist and know because I'm not like I'm not a I'm not a corner cutter like I know the way Vaughn wants my job to be done right like, he's a he, he's a bit of a perfectionist and I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well so I know what his expectations are right. so when people are like trying to say oh we're running out of time we're gonna cut corners I'm like bro I'll stay here all night like until my job's done right I'm not leaving right you know so now I'm trying to I think I'm pretty good at delegating but also creating a process not just for it to be simpler to do, but streamline it, you know? So 
we're numbering them now i can just go and drop all the banners off all the frames off and have a team installing them right behind me you know find ways a to save money save time and save some plastic yeah <laughs> save the earth a little bit at the same time you know so and would you say that uh you know the 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 first thing you go to in your thought process is there's got to be an easier way to do this is that where a lot of your yeah stuff comes from oh yeah i'm very methodical with the way i do things like even like when i was working in the bar cutting fruit i always cut it the same way every time and it just becomes you know you don't have to pay attention at that point you're just boom 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 i'm very methodical at trying to find the best way to do something quickest and most efficiently what do you think are the parts of your personality and what are the ways that you've been able to develop these type of systems and methods? Because I think that's a thing that's challenging for a lot of people. That's a good question. Um, Is that something you've always innately done or was there something along the way that taught you that and you really got it good at putting it into practice? Well, my mother was like very, uh, I don't want to say ADD because that's not really the right terminology, but she was very neat. So like my friends would come over after school and they would just like, move something on the table just to fuck with her yeah <laughs> she'd come home and be like what the, what is going on you know like, so i feel like i get a little bit of that i don't want to say ocd but like you know like it's definitely a methodical yeah when someone walks on the on the site and they go wow that looks great paul did that you know or like wow that looks like shit paul did that like that's what i don't want you know right because and now that I've changed up the way we're doing them, like, because Florida, dude, the, the weather was bad. We had high winds, rain, and they just tore my banners into shreds. I mean, they were just flapping in the wind. They, there wasn't a time at that weekend where I could look out and be like, man, that all looks good. This was the last one? <laughs> yeah, the last Florida one. They just got battered. But now that we're just bungeeing the corners, it has some give. So if it is windy, you know, it's kind of gives it a little bit of leeway. Um yeah, I don't know. I just want, I just, I'm not a perfectionist, but I say, okay, I guess I'm kind of a perfectionist for some things. You know, I want, I, if someone gives me a job to do, I want it to be done to the best of my ability. That's what I was going to say. It seems pretty obvious that you like to take pride in the things you do, regardless Definitely. of if it's your squad or reggae rise up. What yep. do you think that stems from? Um... I don't know. I feel like I was a loser in parts of my life, and I, you know, I want to be on the winning team. <laughs> you know, I don't know, because that's a hard thing for people to do too. You know, sometimes if nobody sees you do your good thing, it's hard to be motivated to do it. But yeah. if you can be proud of it, it doesn't matter if you got to be there all night. Yeah, I mean, if I'm given a job to do, I want to be able to. When someone asks who did it, I want to be able to say that I did it without having to worry if it was done right or not or what's messed up you know like um and there's there's a lot of competition you know there's a lot of people that want my job you know so you have to stay true to it and just get it done no matter what you yeah, know, not. So. I'm, I'm sure not even people uh, outside of the Reggae Rise Up industry but I'm sure there's people inside the Reggae Rise Up family who would love to do what you do too um what what is that like how many people are really behind the scenes of a three and four day festival i'd say i'm not talking tech and stage crew and all that i'm talking right. festival i think our crew is around 100 to 150 people total 
Um, there's, I think there's probably about 15 of us that meet every Wednesday and go over all the, pretty much everything for the festival. We do that, but yeah, I mean, months and months in advance. And those 100, 150 people are on site every day of the festival? Yep. Most of them, yeah. Yeah, because especially Florida, Vegas is a little different, but Florida, you know, we run, we build and run all of our own bars. So we have all bar staff, um, box office, hospitality, um, vendors, signage. Gay uh, people. Yeah, gay people, security. Like, so we, we operate, we deal with all that ourselves. So we have a pretty big squad. And when you're outside of Florida, what's the difference? You, there's a subcontracted things or the venues are different or? The venues are different. So we don't have any infrastructure in Florida. We build on an empty, you know, an empty park. So there's not much power. It's not much water. There's a little bit, but not much. Vegas, they have infrastructure there. It's like an event center. So their stage is already built. So we, we close the streets around it and set up. But they, they deal with their own bar staff and stuff in Vegas. So... Uh, so it's just a, it's a smaller skeleton crew for Vegas, Baltimore. Same thing. We uh, we built on an empty. You know, it was half parking lot, half park. The first year is always the hardest. Right. You've never been there. It's a new. You know. So the first year of Baltimore was really hard I, for me personally with signage and just everything else. It was just very difficult. But last year, it I was the first year I ever had all the signs up before the doors opened. Um, and then I had, it was the first time where I could look at everyone and be like, man, those look good. <laughs> I started using the pole pockets. Right. And they, yeah, they looked great. So I felt really good about myself, like my job in Vegas or in Baltimore. It was good. And that was the first Baltimore show? That was the second one. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know if we're going back next year or not. I haven't heard anything about it. Attendance was a little low at those ones. But anytime you start something new somewhere, you know. Right. Um, so I'd like to. I, I this time I was actually able to really, you know, meet some of because I run the I ran the street team this year for Baltimore. So, you know, I lacked the the first year we didn't do the street team, so I didn't really know many people up there. So this year, I you know I'd met I had met friends through the street team, and so I was able to like go out and see more of the town. And Baltimore has some cool stuff to offer. So leading up to one of the shows that's outside of Florida, do you ever go physically and meet with these people? Or, or thanks to the technology and the protocol you guys got in place, you can do everything from afar? Pretty much everything from afar. Last year was my first year work in Vegas, so I did fly out to Vegas beforehand just to do some measuring. And the Dirty Heads were playing. It was our show, so I ended up going to the show, shaking hands with the street teamers, and then I, got, I went around the site and did a bunch of measuring. And so that, you know, and then knowing from what I, for the first year, this is the second year, this year, so I'm able to kind of like, I'm trying to save money because, you know, the, the signage bill is a big bill. Right. So I'm trying to save, I don't, you know. And you can't reuse any of that, right? Every year you got to recycle or every, yeah, say every we, year you got to start over. Yeah, we, because we change all the designs, you know, some things on the site change. So we, we do new signs for everyone. So... I feel good about this year. I was able to you know, go through, tighten up some of the things that, you know, t tighten up some of the loose ends from last year. And now when I get there this year, I'll have them numbered and ready to go. Last year, I had to unbox everything and figure out where it went. This year, I pretty much know where everything's going. Not making the same mistakes twice. No. <laughs> um, but, that's, but that's how the festival life is. You know, we take... 
once we do it, then we can say, this needs to change, this needs to change, this needs to change, this needs to change. Sometimes we make those changes the next morning. You know, after if Friday, if we notice something's got to change, Saturday morning we get on site, we're making changes the whole, you know, for the whole weekend. And oh, so uh, you can pivot that quick on some stuff. Some stuff, yeah. Yep. So it's all moving parts, really, until the last note of the last band. Yep. And then we have to tear it all down on the Monday. <laughs> What's that like? Uh, it comes it comes down way quicker than it goes up. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> why is that? That's always the case. I don't know, man. We're just clipping it. They're falling over. It's like <laughs> we can pack it up in one day. It takes us a week to build it. <laughs> what do you take for a crew to break it down? I usually have about Florida. I had four or five volunteers in Baltimore I used two I'm gonna have two volunteers in Vegas um so Florida is just the the it's so much bigger piece of land that we're on and there's just a lot more I mean it's kind of double the size of the other two so at least double right well where is this I mean we got the the most fertile ground for it no pun intended we got the vibe for it here here in Cali man is like the reggae capitals of America I guess but I mean there's a lot of bands in our scene that are going out there and they're really starting to grow it's cool to watch you know like cashed out and bumping uglies and stuff yeah what do you see for the bands coming up now with how, what a struggle touring has become how how does the festival thing play into that how do they even how are people making it in between it's gotta be tough I mean with everything as expensive as it is right now it's right. gotta be really tough um do you find that a lot of the bands that are, because I, I know for a while there, it was like a lot of bands that were doing their summer tours are the ones that would end up on the festival bills like Reggae Rise if they'd be off right. dates or whatever. But then you got to the point where it was like all the shows they were doing were only festivals. That'd be awesome. How, how much of that do you see? Like, you know, the bigger bands, you know, are they, is it all festival gigs mainly? Yeah, they, I think it goes from like you know doing the smaller venues like the Ritz or, or Janice to doing those size clubs to festival size shows. But because I mean, touring is is just rough no matter who you are, whether or not you're cashed out or Revolution. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I mean that's the, the the best way to build your fan base is to go play. You know, if you go out on the road, I've been watching Kyle Smith. Uh, he hasn't even been in the scene that long, but he's just been crushing it on the road, crushing awesome. it on social, and exploding, which is really cool to watch. Like, Cash Dow played at Gator Club and Jaeger Tavern with us, well, how many years ago is that? Eight years ago? I was going to say eight, ten years ago. Eight to ten years ago. Wow. And, you know, like, I paid him, like, 200 bucks on a bar tab. <laughs> and, uh, but... They also put out really good music too, so I think I think it's a mixture of putting out good tunes. It's like having a grocery store; you gotta have groceries on yourself, yourself, you know. Having good tunes, a social presence, and playing shows. Other than the lineup, what do you think is the most crucial part to having a day go killer at the festival? When your hectic Saturday comes in and everything's going down, what's the best thing that can happen? <laughs> weather. We need good weather. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good weather. Um, I, I'm very lucky to work with the people that I work with because they like everybody works together, and it seems like at the the farther along we go, just the easier that it's becoming for everybody. Like, I think everybody 
pretty much knows what's expected of them. And if something's out of whack and the doors aren't opening, you got thousands of angry fans and, you know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of different aspects. I mean, because you got fans, you got food vendors, bars. I mean, there's so many different things going on. So it's nice when the doors open and the people fill in and there's no issues. I don't know. How hard is it to keep everybody pulling the same direction? Um, well, we have a pretty good system going because in Florida we fire two stages, so it keeps the flow going back and forth all day because it goes one stage, uh, five stage, main stage, five stage. We put all the vendors and food in the middle, so people are constantly all day long just going back and forth. That's a the good setup. Flow. That's a good setup. And the other yeah. ones don't, they're single stages? Uh, no, Vegas is two stages. Their stage, the main stage is already in there, and then the vibe stage is like you have to go around. It's kind of like if imagine a horseshoe, mm-hmm. and the main stage is on the left side, and the vibe stage is on the right side. It's kind of like a U that goes also goes back and forth all day though. So right. we, they have visual artists, so you walk through. There's like a bunch. We put a bunch of walls that the artists paint before and during the festival. So there's a lot of visual art going on. Um, we usually have killer food. <laughs> yes, I can speak to that. Yeah, Steve and Marley's uh, curry, yeah. chicken curry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, you get one of the Marley kids chefs to cook you chicken. <laughs> when you're vegetarian, you eat it anyways. That's a different story. Uh, so when the weather cooperates and you get to go on the scissor lift and you see it all come together, that's how you know it all worked. That's yeah. the pride feeling. That's the payoff. Yep. That's where all that I'll stay all night <clears throat> becomes worth it. And yep. if people don't know that, I guess it's your job to tell them this is this is how we get there. Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into it. These are huge productions. And we're constantly always trying to find a way to make it better. And you know, go bigger and go better. So this might seem like a stupid question, but this just hit me. If the weather is the biggest thing that can break your way, which I, I totally see how that is, and I've experienced that having played shows where the weather was good and where the weather went to shit. If the weather goes to shit, is that the worst thing that can happen? Um, I don't think so. Uh, well, I mean, definitely one of them. Uh, I think, you know, for, for me as, a, as someone who listens to music, I'd say when I, when I wasn't in the industry, it didn't, I don't think I really noticed things as much, but now, you know, good sound Right, is pretty important. Yeah, and that's changed a lot. Because a uh, bad sound, I don't care how good your band is. If the sound's bad, then people are gonna be like, "Oh man, I saw them last night. They sucked." I'm like, "Yeah, but maybe it was the sound guy. I don't know. Maybe it was the system." So I think that has the production has a huge role True. in it. True, and that gets overlooked if you're not conscious of it. Yeah, because if you let's say uh, you have fifteen thousand people at Hanoi Park. You want everybody to hear it all the way to the back. Clearly. Clearly. And at the same time. And try not to kill everybody in the front. <laughs> well, right. You know, deafen them. So. Well, yeah, Reggae Rise Up has always had stellar production. Yeah. There was, uh, it was like the first or second Vinoy year where um, the Dirty Heads were playing. I was just like, man, something is not right. And that was the last year I remember ever thinking that. It's been. Pretty, yeah, I was gonna say I wasn't there for that one. All yeah, the ones it's been that I've pretty seen. on point since yeah. then. But that's a that's a learning curve too, you know. Right. But weather's usually the biggest factor. I mean, high wind and rain, it just can. That doesn't go with reggae. No, <laughs> there's no wind and rain in reggae. It's, I'm a, 
sun and fun. Yeah, I'm all I'm all about some clouds, but yeah. it starts raining and the the grass of Illinois is all not really grass anymore. It's a bunch of dirt now, so yeah. It can turn into just a big mud pit. Right. Yeah, but I've seen that too. Yeah. And yeah, it's been it's been a really it's been a cool adventure so far. And I'm excited to see what the next 10 years will bring as far as reggae and our scene and the shows we're doing. We just dropped a bunch of shows. We're doing Spa Beach. Where's that at? It's in St. Pete. It's like at the base of the pier. If you're like walking up to the pier, there's a little the playground on the left. If you walk past the playground, like past that little net oh, thing. Oh, that's they what got, they got. Like they put a new venue down there, right? Yeah. So they want it to be like a premier new venue. So we just did. We booked. Let me. Sh- I have the uh, the ad for it. We just dropped it today. The first shows the Revivalists on November fourth. And then we have Quinn XC2. I don't know who that is. I think they're like EDM or something. And then Iration with Fortunate Youth. Oh, that'll be cool. On November 11th. Then we have the Hip Abduction with Pacifier on the 26th of November. And they got like a website for the venue? We'll make yeah, sure we get the link in the description for riseupsaintp.com that. is going to be where you can find tickets at. We got GEZ. In December, Ludacris in December. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we got some cool shows coming. They're kind of bringing some more of, you know, other scenes around, not just the reggae. So. Yeah, well, the reggae fan base and the reggae world is really complementary to other scenes, Definitely. especially hip-hop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, the hip-hop groups in our scene have been killing it. Yeah, I know they have a lot of fun doing the shows, too, from the, the bit. Oh, yeah. Little, you, you, you listen to Little Stranger at all? I haven't. Two dudes from Philly. Check them out. They're... They're bad to the bone. Very cool. They're playing Janice next month, nice. November. And then I told I told my boss to book Prof. I was like, you got to book this guy. That would, be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. So Prof, if you get on, I need a shout out. Yeah, for real. <laughs> All right, well, you've had a good long road. You got a good road behind you, an awesome, uh, yeah. exciting road ahead of you. I'm going to get you out of here on a fun, easy one. If it was your festival, the Paul D. King Kicking <laughs> of Ass Festival, and you had three days... Who are your headliners? Ooh. I don't know. Should it be Tool one day? Yeah, you know, no rules. It's, it's the Paul D. King Festival. We'll do Tool one day. What day? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Come on, you, you're on the inside. You got to pick a day. Oh, man. Tool on Saturday. All right. We'll do Tool on Saturday. Let's do uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Oh. On Sunday. And man, who's who bringing him in day one? Who's coming day one? Oh man, Mac Miller day one. All right, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you you made the fun question quick and easy. Yeah, I got. I can build a festival easy, easy. See, <laughs> oh, that's why you're here. Yeah. All righty, brother. I appreciate your time. We're gonna Dude, do thank this again, you, man. man. All right, I really appreciate it. Love you, brother. Keep the hotel empty for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the hardest part about your festival is you got to bring Mac Miller back to life. I know. 